good morning, church. Good morning. Doesn't that video just kind of get you pumped up? I mean, it's just like, yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do those pull-up clap things. I don't know how he does that, but that'd be pretty awesome. So, well, welcome back to our 40-day challenge. This is an exciting series as God is challenging us to live like Jesus. And so we're taking this challenge together. We're saying, man, we want to be more and more like Christ because that's God's plan for us, right? It says in Romans, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And for you and I, if you're a Christ follower, that's God's plan for you, that your life should look more and more like Jesus. So if this is your first day at Rolling Hills, glad you're here. If you've been a part of this 40-day challenge, we're at the halfway mark. We've got kind of our wristbands that say 40-day challenge, live like Jesus. And we're right at the halfway, 20 days to go. So let's do it. Let's finish it, man. Let's live like Jesus for God's name and for God's glory. I'm so excited about what he's doing. Now, we started this series, and we said this, that Jesus had his own 40-day challenge experience, right? When he started his earthly ministry, for 40 days, he was in the desert. And for 40 days, he was tempted. Now, temptation's not a sin, right? Temptation's not a sin. Temptation's an opportunity for us to grow stronger in our faith, for us to grow spiritual muscles, for us to trust God in who he is. And so, Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, was baptized. And maybe God's speaking to some of you about taking that step of faith, of obedience, to be baptized in Christ. The second week we talked about this, faithfulness. It said in Jesus from that time on, from those 40 days on, right, he knew God's plan, God's purpose, and he lived it. And for us, 40 days isn't about like check it off, you know, it was a great series, let's move into the holidays, you know, what's the next series? It's for us to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going forward in Christ. You know, these 40 days are for me to really set my mind and my heart on God, for me to take a daily step to read the Bible every day, to pray every day, but it doesn't end at the end of 40 days. It, for us, from this time on, that we say, yes, I'm gonna run this race marked out for me with perseverance, like it says in Hebrews. Last week, we talked about what does it look like to live like Jesus in your family. And wow, that was so strong. If you missed, I go, go back and watch the podcast because I think God had a word for all of us and talking about our relationships and how we live there. And today we're talking about live like Jesus in our friendships, in our friendships. Now, what we've also said in this whole series is make it personal. So something that you're praying about for these 40 days, personal. And maybe, maybe it's for, you know, baptism. Maybe it's for missions and maybe it's for your marriage or for your future marriage. Maybe it's for, you know, children or adoption. I don't know what it is. I've heard all kinds of stories about what God has been speaking to people about. And I love it, I love it, I love it. Because God hears our prayers and God answers our prayers. And so I'm so thankful to be on this journey with you as we're living our lives for Christ in these 40 days. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We've been in Matthew 4 for a few weeks here. And God's been teaching us and challenging us. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures online at YouVersion, or we'll put the scripture on the screen so you can follow along with what God's word has to say. But Matthew chapter four, pick up in verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Wow. 
You know, we talked a little bit about this last week as we saw the relationships, the brothers here, the siblings, and the family dynamics. But what I want you to see today is that what Jesus calls us to is to live life in community. See, you were meant to live life in community. And if we're to live like Jesus, then we've got to be in community. The fact of the matter is this, our God is a communal God. Our God's a communal God, right? Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You have three in one, the Trinity. You also see in the book of Genesis where it's, God said, let us make man in our own image. Let us, communal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, present from the very beginning, from creation. But make man in our image. So if we're in the image of God, we are communal beings. We thrive in community. We weren't created to do life alone. God gave us community. And it's so important for us to know that and to live that. Uh, sometimes I meet people and they'll say, so what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And, you know, you get different responses, right? You're like, oh, great. You know, so sometimes, you know, sometimes if you're on the golf course, and they're like, oh, what word did I just use? You know, and they're like, it's okay, you know. But sometimes you'll talk to people and, and you meet people in different places and they'll say, oh, you're a pastor. Well, I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church. I'm like, Really? Uh, yeah, 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 you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer in Jesus, you know, I just don't go to church. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's really what you see in Scripture. I mean, because Jesus is coming back for his church. You were created to be a part of a body. You were created to be in relationship. You were created to be in community. To me, that's like saying, you know, you meet somebody and they say, well, I'm a football player. And you go, oh, really, what team? You go, well, I'm not on a team. I'm just a football player, you like, Good luck, brother. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's not going to go real well for you, right? I mean, yeah, nobody blocked for you. You're in trouble. I mean, you know, come on. So you and I were created to be in community. It's the way God designed it. It's the way the Christian life works. And if we're to live like Jesus, we live in community. Now, here's a couple of things. Number one is this. Discipleship happens in community. Discipleship happens in community. And notice when Jesus called these guys, he didn't go and find the religious elite he didn't go to Jerusalem and find all the people who had been studying the Torah. He found ordinary guys, ordinary people like me and you. And he said, come, follow me. This is an invitation. But notice that he didn't just do one-on-one -on -one discipleship with them either, did he? What did he do? He took them in community. He took them because we learn from one another. We learn from each other. You've all heard that saying, right? You're known by the company you keep. You're known by the company you keep. You know where that comes from? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. <laughs> and isn't that true? He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I can't tell you how many times I, I meet with people and they'll come in for counseling or they'll just say, I want to meet with you. And, and a lot of times the conversation starts like this. Well, I had these friends. Well, I had these friends. And a lot of times it's positive, right? They'll say, my life was out of control. I was making bad decisions. I was in this relationship. I was doing this or that. And I had these friends who invited me to church. And I came to church, and man, I heard the word of God. And it was like God spoke to me, and I just want to know more. I mean, I'm hungry. I want my life to change. And you're just like, yeah, you know, because I had these friends. Other times, though, right, it's negative. Well, I had these friends. And, you know, I kind of grew up. I would go to church, or I grew up, and I would read my Bible. But... But I had these friends and I started going out and I started doing this thing and it really wasn't me. And then next thing you know, and I'm out and I'm doing this stuff and then, you know, they're like, smoke this or try this. And then he goes, my life just went out of control and I just wasted all this time and I need help. I need help. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. 
And you go back to that little phrase, well, I had these friends. See, God wants us to grow wise. God wants us to be around people who are going to make us more like Jesus. That's why he says you were meant for community. That's why we, we emphasize it here. We talk about being in a community group. We, we talk about, you know, come to Men's Leadership Network or be at an if table, be a mom to mom, but someplace where you're surrounding yourself with people who are going to help you be more like Jesus. So as you look at your life, as you look at your relationships, are you around people like that? Are you growing in the Lord? Are there people to encourage you? Are there people to help you? You, you know, one of my favorite people here in the story is, he doesn't get a lot of pub, okay? You know, a lot of the pub goes to, you know, Simon Peter and to Andrew and James and John. But there's a guy who's mentioned twice. He's mentioned twice. His name is Zebedee, right? Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, Preparing their nets, Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, Zebedee doesn't get a lot of, you know, publicity right there, right? We, we stumble over even how to say his name. But, you know, Zebedee was a guy who got it. And I am so thankful for this dad. I am. You know, we kind of look at him and go, well, was he irresponsible? You know, there's <laughs> Jesus walking by. He's like, go kids, you know, go, go run after Jesus. No, but if you look at the other narratives that tell us in the other gospels, Jesus has been teaching in this area. People have been waiting for the Messiah. And here comes Jesus and he offers this invitation. And here's a dad who had prepared his boys, go, go. There is the Christ. There is the one we've been waiting for. You go, you be a part of that band of brothers, right? You be a part of that 12. I know God's gonna do great things through you. You go. What can happen a lot of times as parents, and it just, man, it just, it just happens. Life happens, right? It's busy and it's crazy. And, and all of a sudden, we've got our kids in sports. We've got them in all these things, and travel's happening, travel ball, and this and that. And we look up, and like a year gone by, two, three, four years, and we're like, whoa, wait a minute. Who are they hanging out with? I, I don't even know their parents. I don't even know who these kids are with. I don't know what, what's going on. And we haven't been to church in, you know, a long time. And, and, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. And if you're a parent or you're a grandparent, it's so important that we're putting our kids in situations where they're going to be around people who are going to help them be more like Jesus. It, that's essential for us. And I know there's all these kinds of things and that are happening out there, but for you and I, that we make that a priority. Because you know how big of an influence friends are, right? My daughter, Grace, she's in sixth grade, so she's in the youth group now. And she came home from the youth group on Wednesday night, and I, and I said, how was the youth group tonight? She goes, Dad, it was awesome. And I was like, yeah, I love that, you know? And she's like, I love it. She goes, the people are so cool. It's just great. We're learning so much. I love what God's doing here at Rolling Hills. I, mean, I love the children's ministry. I love the student ministry. And you're seeing God grow up leaders, growing up leaders. And our kids need that. They need the reverse peer pressure, right? They need people who are going to say, hey, did you spend time with God today? Hey, what is God teaching you today? Hey, how are you growing in your faith today? Hey, are you honoring your father and mother today? You know, I mean, they need that in their life. Discipleship happens in community for us and for them, for all. Second thing I want you to see is this. Ministry happens in community. Ministry happens in community. Now, notice Jesus could have called these 12 and said, hey, guys, we're going to have some great Bible studies. Okay, we're going to sit around, we're going we're to go through the book of Isaiah verse by verse. We're going to do that. Now, I love Bible study. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in Bible study, right? I give my life to it. That's what I do. But I also know this, that discipleship and spiritual growth happens when you serve. 
It happens when you give. It happens when you get involved. See, it's, it's both and. And a lot of times we think it's an either or. It's not an either or, it's a both and. You know the Dead Sea? The Dead Sea, why is it called the Dead Sea? Because everything in it's dead, right? I mean, it's the lowest point on the earth. But the reason it's dead is not because there's not water flowing into it. The Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. The reason everything's dead is because nothing flows out of it. It's stagnant. And salt builds up and everything dies. And as believers, sometimes we can come and we can kind of sit and soak and it can just be all coming in, coming in, coming in. But at some point, it's got to come out as well. You've got to put it into practice. You've got to live it out. And I think that's so essential. Sometimes people go, well, you know, I just, I have a hard time figuring out what my gifts are. And, but don't sit back. Engage. You figure out a way to use your gifts and your talents for God's glory. We talk about worship one hour, serve one hour. Worship at 9.30, serve at 11. Or worship at 11, serve at 9.30. But some place where you're giving back. Go on mission trips. Get involved in some kind of ministry, some kind of way that you're using your gifts and your talents. Uh, this past Tuesday night, we had our Justice and Mercy International Gala, and it was awesome. I mean, you know, we can't believe it. Like six years ago, when we, as a church, started this nonprofit. And what God has been doing in the lives of, of the poorest of the poor in the Amazon and, and, and orphans in Moldova and those in South Africa, and you're just like, wow. It, it's amazing. And so Tuesday night, we had a big celebration time, and it was, it was amazing. And I went on Facebook afterwards, and I looked at some of the posts, and, and this lady in our church who... She's awesome. I mean, and she has been through hard times. And yet God has redeemed and restored. And she got involved in mission trips and she just loves it. But here's what she posted after Tuesday night, late at night, right? She says, oh my goodness, God is good, exclamation point. Can I just say how full my heart is right now? Another Justice and Mercy International gala in the books. And what a great night it was. Not only did we exceed our financial goal, I realized what a wonderful group of like-minded and like-hearted friends God has given me through my involvement with JMI. I got involved years ago hoping to be a blessing to others. But in truth, his blessing on me through this organization has far outweighed anything I could ever do for anyone else. Between the kids I sponsor and the lifelong friends I've made through mission trips, my life has forever been changed for the better. So thankful that many of my mission trip friends from all over the country made their way to Nashville. And we did. We had people from Oklahoma and from Florida and from Texas, a lady from Switzerland. She said, if you've ever wondered about going on a mission trip or sponsoring a child, just do it, all caps. There is a JMI mission trip almost monthly to one of the countries we serve and pages of kids on the JMI website waiting for someone to love them, pray for them, and maybe even travel halfway around the world to meet them someday. Not only will you help change the lives of the vulnerable you serve, but it will be your life that has changed as well. <laughs> and many of you, you've been to the Amazon, you've been to Moldova, you've been to these places, and you know your, your life has changed. You go to serve, but what happens is God transforms you because spiritual growth happens as you give your life away. Spiritual growth happens as you get involved and God changes you. You know, there's no Lone Ranger Christians in Scripture. I mean, Jesus is God, right? He doesn't need any of us. He didn't need the disciples. But he says, come on, come on. And discipleship happens there. Ministry happens there. Paul, the apostle Paul, we think of him as kind of a lone ranger. No, he wasn't. Yeah, you know, look at Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Titus, you know, Paul and Ticketus. You go through all. Paul even wrote back to the church in Philippi. 
in his home church, basically. And he said, hey, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership. I love that. You know, here at Rolling Hills, we don't just have members, we have partners because we're in this thing together, right? In the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And you see that. You see that as you live it out. You know, Jesus is talking. He calls these disciples. They go on this journey with him. And in verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching in their, you know, the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Can you imagine James and John writing back to their dad? Dad, you wouldn't believe it. We're seeing people raised to life. We're seeing the sick healed. We're seeing life transformation. Dad, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Something happens when you get involved, right? Something happens when you engage. Second thing I want you to see is this. Jesus took the initiative. Jesus took the initiative. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees these two brothers. He's like, hey, guys, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus came to them just like Jesus comes to us. Jesus invites us. God is drawing you. You know, that still small voice who speaks to you. It's the Holy Spirit drawing you to God. Jesus going along a little further, it says in verse, you know, 21, and he sees who? James and John. Hey, come follow me. He doesn't say where he's going. He doesn't say how long it's going to take. He doesn't give them a what to bring list. He just says, come follow me. You're in a relationship with Jesus. And it's a lifelong journey in Christ. He says, come on, come follow me. And what I want you to see is how Jesus took the initiative. A lot of times we'll come to church and we kind of sit back and we're like, oh, I don't know about getting involved, you know, I don't know. But when you take the initiative, something happens in you. Something happens in you. A lot of times we fall for this lie of Satan. Here's Satan's lie. Satan's lie is this. You don't have to talk about God. You don't have to share the gospel with anybody. All you do is live a good life, right? That's all you do. You just live a good life, and then people are going to come to you, and they're going to ask you. And when people come to you and ask you, then you can tell them about God. You ever heard that, right? That's just a lie of Satan. Why? Because, one, it's arrogant, right? I'm going to live such a good life that everybody's going to come to me. You know, I'm better than everybody else, right? Two, Jesus didn't do that, and Jesus was perfect, so Jesus was absolutely perfect, and yet he took the initiative with people. He shared the gospel. He engaged in people's lives. He stepped in. You know, if you go over to the Gospel of John, it tells us that, that John the Baptist was preaching, and Andrew heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the first thing it tells us in John, the first thing he did was go to his brother Peter. Peter, come on. So when Jesus came by the Sea of Galilee, man, they were ready because a brother initiated a relationship. A brother said, I want to tell you about Jesus. I was talking to a guy in our church the other day at the Men's Leadership Network, and he said, Jeff, this is amazing. What's happened? I said, tell me about it. He goes, well, we moved houses, and we were trying to get in a community group, and, you know, it was just not working out on the nights of the week, and, and we moved into this new neighborhood. And I said to my wife, we've got this big house now. Why don't we host a community group? And she was like, okay. And he said, I'll, I'll invite our neighbors. And so he goes, I go across the street and I, I knock on the neighbor's door. I said, hey, man, would you want to be, we're going to do a Bible study in our, in our house. Would you want to come? And the guy was kind of like, uh, 
let me get back to you. I'll uh, talk to my wife. And he goes, okay. He goes, I didn't know what that was like. Oh, no, I'm in trouble or whatever. But he said, two days later, I'm out in the yard. And the guy comes over. He goes, yeah, I'd love to. He goes, I'll talk to my wife. We would love to do it. He said, Jeff, do you realize we've got six families coming to our house now? Every Sunday night, he goes, our kids are playing together. I know the parents now who my kids are playing with. He goes, it's great. I said, way to take the initiative, man. Way to step out. It would have been easy to sit back and just go, no, no, no. But he engaged. He moved forward. I read an article the other day about a high school kid. I don't love this kid. He said, you know, he was out of school. In his sophomore year, he just realized there was a lot of gossip in his high school, a lot of backbiting. And he thought, can I change the attitude here, he was a believer and he was praying for his school. And so he started a, an anonymous Instagram account. And for his junior and senior year, he started taking pictures of his classmates and he would post them on Instagram and he would say kind things about them. And for the next two years, he took over 600 pictures. And he would take a picture and he would say, I saw what you did today and it was amazing, the way you held the door. I saw what you did, the way you helped this person. I think that is so great. And more likes and more likes started coming in. He would say, hey, I looked up what your name means. And do you realize your name means that you're a gift from God? And he would just post this, more likes, more likes, more likes. He said, I watched the school change. He said, people became kind. People cared about each other. He goes, I knew God was answering prayers. And five months ago, he stood up as the valedictorian at his high school in May, and he said, hey guys, I'm the one who was posting all of these things about you guys. And everybody started clapping and cheering. I mean, it, you know, I just thought, wow. But somebody's taking the initiative. What's God calling you to do? You know, when God prompts your heart, and maybe it's a spiritual conversation with somebody, maybe it's an invitation to somebody, maybe it's just praying together as a family, maybe it's engaging somehow in, in you know, extended family if you're a grandparent, but what is it? How is God saying, you take the initiative, and when the Holy Spirit prompts you, immediate obedience, right? You step into it. The second thing I want you to see, or third thing I want you to see is this, is Jesus invested his life in others, and you and I are called to invest your life in others. Keep going into chapter five. In chapter five, it says, now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, and what follows here in chapter five, six, and seven is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, this is the longest sermon that we have from Jesus. It's the deepest, richest teaching. It's fantastic. It starts with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize their need for God, that they're not arrogant. They're just saying, God, I need you. You are God, and I'm not. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hey, blessed are those who mourn. You're thinking, blessed are those who mourn right? You mourn over your total depravity. You mourn over your brokenness. You mourn over your sin. Why? For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Meek means strength under control. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who can't wait to know more about God, who love God, are growing in God, for they will be filled. The Beatitudes are so rich. I mean, we've spent a whole series on the Beatitudes, and we'll come back to it. But what I want you to see is verse 1 and 2. It says, now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Notice that. See, a lot of times I think when you see the Sermon on the Mount, you think Jesus is standing there like Billy Graham, and there's this, you know, huge arena and all the crowd there. But what it says is that Jesus was there with his disciples. And the 12 are there. Now, there's huge crowds all around. But Jesus taught them. Jesus invested in them. Who are you investing in? 
Who are you investing in? See, it wasn't that Jesus pulled his 12 guys together and said, guys, we're going to have a great time on the weekends. We're going to play soccer. We're going to talk about the gladiator games that happened down the Colosseum in Rome. You know, he came along and he said, no, no, no. I want to pour deep spiritual truths into you. I want to invest in you. I want to pour life into you. You see, there's a difference. You know, you take the initiative to have a conversation with somebody, but then there's a whole investment level that goes. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you have a calling and a responsibility. If you're an aunt or an uncle, listen, you have a calling to invest, to invest what is truth, what is life-giving, what is doctrine, what is theology into those coming behind you. Invest. I read an article the other day about a, a baseball player named Colby Rasmus. Colby Rasmus played for the St. Louis Cardinals from 2009 to 2011. And he had kind of a rocky time there, huge prospect. Everybody thought he was going to be great. But him and the manager, Tony La Russa, didn't get along real well. But he said something happened to him at that time that was bigger than baseball. He's gone on to play for the Blue Jays. He's now playing for the Houston Astros. But while he was in St. Louis, he was far from God. He'd never grown up in church. He'd didn't know much about God at all. And he said, I would sit on the bench and there was a guy named Lance Berkman who would come and sit down next to me and he would start talking to me about Jesus Christ. He said he would, he would just start having these conversations and I would ask questions and he would answer my questions and, and he said, then I started looking at other guys on the team like Albert Pujols and Adam Wainwright and Matt Holliday and he goes, I started noticing there was difference about them, the way they lived their life, what was important to them, what they valued. And he said, I want that. And so he said, I gave my life to Christ there in St. Louis. And I became a follower of Jesus. He goes, my life has been forever changed. My family's been forever changed. And I look at that and I think, way to go, Lance Berkman. You know, I mean, way to go, man. I mean, he could have been sitting on the bench talking to the guy about pitch counts. And, his, you know, does he throw a slider on his third pitch? or what? He wasn't. He was investing Jesus into his teammate. And the impact that that's had on his marriage and on his kids and on his future kids, I mean, it's unbelievable. And you guys, we get caught up and there's so many distractions that are out there in the world today, but for you and I to engage. We've had the Men's Leadership Network every Thursday morning and it's been awesome to see. We had a guy a couple weeks ago named Drew Maddox and, and he's the coach, the basketball coach at CPA. And, and I said, Drew, what do you want your legacy to be? He said, I wanna be known as a man who picked up the trash. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, every situation I'm in or every conversation I have, I want it to be better than when I got there. I want to be able to speak Christ. I want to make it better in that conversation or in that situation or in my workplace or wherever I am. I want it to be better. I want it to be better. I want to invest Christ in every place I go. This past week, we had Chris Dolberry. It was awesome. And whether we were having coaches or pastors or theologians or politicians, you know, believers, for men, they're all coming back to this. Here's the common theme. This relationship with God right, that I'm growing in his word every day, that I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm growing, that you're surrounding yourself with godly men, godly friends who are spurring you on to live like Jesus, and then that men engage. Men become the spiritual leaders that we were called and created to be. And you hear that theme and you see that. And it's for all of us, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, that we don't just sit back and go to the couch and grab the remote and spend our lives there watching whatever's next on, that we are active and involved. We get one shot at this church. We get one opportunity to live our lives for the glory of God. And oh, that we would do it. Oh, that we would do it. That we'd be found faithful investing in others for his name. 
What I love in Matthew chapter four, verse 20, this is so good. When Jesus called those disciples, said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It says in verse 20, at once, at once they left their nets and followed him. They didn't sit there and debate. They didn't sit there and make excuses. They said at once, we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to be obedient to God. We want to see God do miracles. Do you think those guys ever regretted it for a moment? No way. Was it perfect? No. Was it easy? No. But do you think they ever regret for a moment seeing God transform the world? Do you think if you would have gone to Peter and go, hey, Peter, one day there's going to be a place called St. Peter's Basilica. It's going to be massive. He's like, no. I mean, come on, you know. No, you can stay here with scaly fish and be comfortable, right? You can spend your life and die at 35 or 40, whatever it was back then when you died. Or you can go on a journey of a lifetime and follow God with a band of brothers who are passionate about God and do something bigger to impact the world for God's glory. Come on, you want to do that? Let's do that. Let's do that. That's what God invites us to, church. That's why we lock arms together. That's why we go forward together. That's why we don't quit or give up or back away. We say, no, God has called me for a time such as this. And guys, listen, our world needs God. Our world needs Jesus more than ever. Uh, my heart broke this week. Probably like many of you. A shooting in Oregon, school campus. I sat there and I watched the report and I was just, you know, I was tearing up and I was getting angry and frustrated. I'm like, why does this keep happening? Our kids and college students, I get on my knees and I'm just praying, oh God, we need you, you know, and I'm like, this is hurt. I was reading an article about a guy, he, he was a journalist and he was in Arizona when the 19 firefighters were killed. He was in that town, he was living in that town and as a journalist, he had covered tragedies all over. And during that time, he gave us, he just said, God, I surrender. I'm a believer, but God, I know that, that I'm called to make a bigger difference. And he became a pastor. <laughs> he went to Oregon. He was there and all the TV crews. And he said, yet I, I've seen behind the scenes, long after the TV news vans are leave, another recurring narrative that happens in the midst of these tragedies. And it's a positive recurring story of hope and humanity, and unity, and rebuilding. This positive narrative can, remains consistent in the empty wake, the churning months, and the years that follow a national tragedy. I've witnessed it as a reporter, in the parents of a drowned child, in the husband whose wife who died, in an activist who fought for an immigrant who was dehydrating in the Arizona desert. I've seen this positive recurring story in the moments of a crisis where humans should most likely curse God and turn away from any belief in a creator. Many humans instead embrace their God and renew their spiritual beliefs. More than ritual or obligation, I have seen souls anchor themselves. Survivors report that the shooter systematically targeted Christians in this school shooting for immediate murder. We don't know yet if people of Christian faith were singled out for murder. But the families of these murdered Christians, if they are anything like the believers that I've met in the wake of other tragedies, will support each other, make meals for the hurting, and knit tighter into their faith. They will mourn, but not as people who don't have any hope. The surviving families of Christian victims will find solace in their belief that God transports all who cry out to him into a place where there is no more pain and no more injustice. People far from a tragedy 
They ask questions like, where is God in the pain and suffering? But I rarely hear that question in the huddle of crying widows, sobbing dads, and embracing friends. The people most broken down discover these scriptures to be true. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord upholds all those who are broken down. Psalm 34. Survivors of these tragedies have reported on and ministered to have seen this in common. Many whose lives are held together and stable credit God who hears their cries and who answers and who, unlike the TV stations, will never leave their town. And I read that and I just thought, man, we need God, don't we? I don't know how people make it in this world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. There was a fallen, broken world back here. And more than ever before, we need God. I don't know how people make it in life without a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son. I mean, where's the hope, right? But I don't know how people make it in life without community. I don't know how people make it without brothers and sisters who will stand by you. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds or the next day or the next day. But we know a God who is eternal. We know who a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And a God who will be with you. And a God who loves you. And a God who has a plan and a purpose for you. And a God who wants to uphold you with his mighty right arm. And a God who doesn't want us to be lonely or afraid. And that's why God sent his son. And that's why God puts us in community together. A band of brothers and sisters. Depending on one another. Living it out. And serving and making a difference. I don't know where you are today. I really don't. But I know this. God is here. And God has been pursuing you. And God has been coming to you and inviting you into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. The most important commitment you will ever make in your life. Follow Christ. Will you give your life to him? Will you trust him with everything you have? And will you follow regardless of what comes? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today, but I know this. God loves you. God loves you. Maybe today is the day right where you sit just to call out, God, I need you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize their deep need for God. God, I can't do it. I need you. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my hurt. God, come meet me right here. Redeem me. Restore me. Maybe today, maybe today is a day of salvation for you. Maybe today is a day where you just look around and say, God, I've been far from you. I've gotten caught up in the distractions of the world. And, and today I'm coming back. Today I just want to say my life is in you. I need to be a part of a church. I need to be a part of a community. I need to be with brothers and sisters. I need to lock arms together. Are the people around you helping you become more like Jesus? What about you? Are you investing your life? Are you investing in your marriage? Are you investing in your children? Are you investing in your roommates? Are you investing in this world for the glory of God? Father, here we are today, oh Lord, and we need you, Father. And God, thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted. And in the midst of our hurt and pain, God, you come. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, 
who gives us hope in this broken world, who tells us that there is more to come, that the best is yet to be. Thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. There is no greater love. And Father, I pray that we would be men and women who are faithful, that we would hear from you. God, help us to be bold and take the challenge to look around and, Father, to surround ourselves with people who are going to make us more like Jesus. And then to take the initiative to step forward and be ambassadors for Christ. God, we love you so much and we dedicate our lives to you. Come follow me, you said. (laughs) And we're following. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we follow. Amen. Amen.